0: So the text for this morning's sermon is Psalm one hundred and sorry uh, Ephesians chapter two, the verses one through ten. Ephesians two, one through ten. So let's read those words together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a very important threefold theme in Scripture that summarizes our true faith in God. That threefold theme, therefore, is echoed in our confessions and our liturgical forms, such as the baptism form. That theme is taught to the children of the covenant in the catechetical instruction. It's taught... To all of us as we are called to examine ourselves before the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so it is also something that must be acknowledged when professing our faith. It's a theme that is also being touched upon in the school theme of Emmanuel Christian School this year. And what is that threefold theme? It is the theme of confessing our sins and misery, of seeking our salvation in Jesus Christ alone, and then of desiring to live a life of renewal and holiness for the Lord. Sin, salvation, and service, as it is often expressed, or guilt, grace, and gratitude. That threefold theme, as we heard, comes from the Bible itself. It's described, for example, in Psalm 116. Maybe later today or this week, you may want to read that chapter in light of this threefold theme and see the progression of it through the psalm. It's in the structure of the book of Romans, as I already alluded to, our reading of Romans 12 being the beginning of that third part of service or gratitude or thanksgiving. And, brothers and sisters, we also see this theme in our text this morning. Our text teaches us that we have been saved by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone, by the work of the Holy Spirit, in order that we might live a new life for the Lord. So that's how we will then summarize our message this morning as well. God saves us by grace through faith. He saves us first from eternal death, second in Christ's name, and third, for good works. So that's the summary of the message God saves us by grace through faith. He saves us from eternal death, in Christ's name, and for good works. So first then, we will concentrate on the truth that God saves us from eternal death. Indeed, from what we are saved, namely eternal death, is described by the Apostle Paul in the verses 1 through 3. He says there, as for you, or and you, were dead in trespasses and sins. Our God is declaring to us in these words that He saves a people lost in sin, that He makes alive those who were dead. Beloved, this is a very important, necessary confession to make. The sinful and miserable state in which we are conceived and born. That there is, in fact, no spiritual life in us. No spiritual insight. No knowledge of God. No understanding of His will. No ability to live faithfully before God. This is something that the Apostle Paul repeats in chapter 4, starting in verse 17. We read, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance That is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That, beloved, is who we were, Paul says. That's the state of the old man. That's the old nature in which we are conceived and born, a nature that is corrupt. According to deceitful lusts. This old nature that we had is a nature that walks in sin, that follows the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The meaning of that is this Satan was lord of our former sinful nature, that nature gave homage to him. We were, Paul says, by nature, objects of wrath, children of wrath. Consequently, our sinful nature is this, that God's righteous judgment of sin ought to fall upon us. And that is, also as the parents acknowledge at the baptism of their children, that is worthy of eternal condemnation. That's what rests upon us. Before faith, we were subject to sin and misery and destined for hell. Dead to sin. Sorry, dead in sin. Enslaved to sin and condemned to sin. Such was our fallen nature without Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter on what rung of the social ladder we are on. It doesn't matter with what ethnic background we are born. It doesn't matter whether we were born to a mother and father with faith or out of wedlock or to unbelieving parents. Every person who is born comes into this world dead in sin. Paul says all of us Chapter 4. All of us also lived among them at one time. And in this knowledge, brothers and sisters, let us also confess that we were not even sick, as some suppose it spiritually, not ailing. Or in the past, and also in the present, some will try to tone down this doctrine of original sin by suggesting we are partially good and partially bad. That we are not all the way dead, but somewhat dead. And so we're, you could say, sick. And salvation occurs when from the good in us we seek Christ, we We ask Christ to enter us, the Spirit to enter us, and therefore come to faith and overcome the bad. No, true Christianity, according to God's word, is this believing completely that we are sinful in the old nature, that we are unable of ourselves in any way to overcome sin, to overcome the state of sin. Not even able to ask for help. Not even able to raise a finger. That's what dead means. Without a shred of life in us. Without a hope in the world. That's our misery. That's our lost state. In Romans 3, we read this. And Paul is explaining... To his audience, uh, the Jewish uh, Christians, that they are just like the Gentiles in this regard. We are all together like this. He says this, uh, quoting from the Old Testament even. "This This is what we all are. None is righteous. No, not one. Not one understands. Not one seeks for God. All have turned aside. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Those who confess to true religion, therefore humble themselves before God because of their sins and sinful nature and seek their life outside of themselves. Well, brothers and sisters, if there is any sliver of hope in what Paul is saying here in our text in Ephesians 2, it is this, that his description of us, and of the old nature, the qualities that he, he speaks about are all stated in the past tense. You were dead. You once walked. You lived. At one time, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. And so he goes. And the point is this. It's no longer that way. It is different now. Presently, as believers, you are no longer like that. These first three verses are serving then as a springboard for Paul's main teaching in this text. That we are present tense, free from condemnation. Free from our sins and misery. Free from the consequences of the old nature. You see, Paul is leading us from deep pessimism concerning ourselves so that we might find great optimism in God. Paul lays it out the truth, the reality, so that when he brings the promise and gospel of Jesus Christ, it is all the more glorious and wonderful. Understand, brothers and sisters, we, we, we should understand the grace of God far more than knowing how deep a fall God saves us. We who were once dead, says Paul, are now made alive alive. In the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Mediator. And that brings us to our second point. God saves us in Christ's name. So we come then to the second part of that theme. The aspect of Christian faith described in 4 to 9, which contains the main thought and begins with what you could say are perhaps the most important words in the Bible. But God. That brings us again to that theme from ICS this year. The true Christian believes with all his heart that even though he was dead through trespasses, God made him alive with Christ. God raised him up with Christ and seated him with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Love to be saved from our sins. Jesus needed to come. God needed to provide a solution. There needed to be a sacrifice for sin. We could not make that payment by the very fact that we were dead in sin. A dead person can do nothing. A dead person can't even offer an animal To pay for sin. First of all, he can't do that. He can't ask for it. And also God's justice demands that sin, the sin, his justice against sin demands that the same person that has sin should pay for sin. And so God had to provide a man so that he could make the payment for us. And he sent his his son, who is our mediator and savior. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, born into the world with our flesh, yet without sin. That he might die on the cross for us. He came to shed his blood and suffer the eternal wrath of God against the sins of the whole world. And so make the perfect redemption for our sins. And thus, as our text puts it, we are now alive together with Christ. We are with God. That's a definition of salvation. That we have communion, again, with God through Christ. That we are in Christ Jesus. So what constitutes true faith in Jesus Christ? What constitutes salvation? It's not being born of Christian parents. It's not being part of a particular church. It's not mere assent to certain doctrines. It's not living according to certain moral standards. But true faith... Is having union with Christ. It's sharing in his resurrection. And ascension. And heavenly rule. And return. It's being victorious in Christ. That's also what the promise of baptism stated. That God the Son promises. That he washes us in his blood from all our sins. And unites us with him in his death and resurrection. He unites us with him. In his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins. And accounted righteous before God. Paul emphasizes then. That this salvation. Is not through our work. But only through the merits of Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So no one may boast. Our salvation is. Is not attributed to anything that we do or to anything that we are, but only to God, who is rich in mercy and to his great love with which he loved us. Salvation from sin is attributed to our faith in Christ, not our works. The Bible says that even our faith is a gift of God, it's of the Holy Spirit who works that faith into our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. We have been saved by grace alone through the Spirit's instrument of faith. And that is Paul simply following up on what he has explained in Ephesians 1, where where he has declared how we receive the gift of salvation because of God's electing grace. It is in... His election, that God has removed a certain number of persons from the realm of death. In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1, we read that God, in love, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. That is to say, we become children of God through the sovereign good pleasure of God. He works in us through the spirit of redemption so that we call God our Father. It is through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit that we indeed seek God as Father. That we pray to God and ask him to enter us. And so there is no reason whatsoever... To boast or brag. How can we? There is nothing that we have done. There is no good in us. Even the decision to believe, to turn to God for salvation, is not our own doing. It is entirely the work of God. Beloved, if not for His goodness and mercy, we would not be saved. We would have been left where we once were in condemnation. So rather than boasting, we are brought to humility, contrition of heart. We acknowledge that salvation is undeserved, that faith is a gift of God, which God of his own will decided to work in our hearts. In humility, we acknowledge the goodness of mercy of God in our lives. And we acknowledge God's continual mercy and grace In our new life. And that's what we see in the third point. That God saves us for good works. Beloved, with faith. The Holy Spirit doesn't stop working. After working that faith. But he works his promise of renewal in our lives. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Christian We are reading in our text and in scripture is bringing about a radical transformation. That's the last important aspect of the Christian faith. That's brought out by Paul in our text in verse 10. When he says that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This means that salvation in God, though important, is not merely a legal status. A changing, a simple changing of our legal status. But what we're understanding is that salvation is also a moral transformation. It is a total transformation. It is a metamorphosis. Which is the word in the original in Romans chapter 12. God is changing us completely. Our old nature is beginning to to be changed, to die. It's being transformed. It's being replaced with a new nature. Inclined now to love God and our neighbor. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us is making us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the daily renewal of our lives. Paul points out in verse 5 of our text that we have been made alive. We have been brought from death to life. We have been made to live and reign with Christ. God recreates us, as it were. We are His workmanship. It's like we are the product of His work. The effects of His recreation are evident in us, and they are immediately, currently evident. That's part of God's purpose in promising and sending His Son. It's part of God's purpose to save us. Not only for the forgiveness of our sins did God send his son, but also that we might live a new life. God gives us faith then in order that we might live out the purpose of our creation. To do good works, Paul writes. Thankfulness, showing thankfulness for God's salvation. We are being called to live in this new way. Through the grace of God, through faith, we shall put away sin and produce good works that befits righteousness. Going back to Romans 12. After addressing our total depravity and God's full grace in the first 11 chapters... Chapter 12 then goes on to to work out practically what that life looks like. That we are to serve God with the spiritual gifts that he gives us. The abilities that he provides us with. We are to show affection to one another. To distribute the gifts we have received to others. We are to be patient with one another. And then... Flowing out of that into chapter 13, we are to submit to the authorities, to love our neighbor, to cast off works of darkness, to walk properly as in the light, and have the law of God written on our hearts. Beloved, the one who is made alive in Christ Jesus through faith is the one who also desires To put sinful deeds to death. To not be conformed to this world. To put on obedience and holiness and righteousness. To be transformed. And then you see that it isn't true. That the reformed faith leads to passivity and carelessness. As many charge. When we consider uh, the sovereignty of God and And his electing grace. Rather, the true Christian, the one who is truly born again, is desiring to strengthen faith and amend life. There's a heartfelt desire to serve God according to his word. To forsake the world. To crucify the old nature. There's a sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life and laying aside all enmity, hatred, and envy to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. And so we can conclude today that we may confess as Christians what the true life of a believer looks like. The true believer in Jesus Christ is confessing salvation from sin, through Christ, for Good works, sin, salvation, and service. How blessed it is, beloved, to know, to understand, and to confess and live out these wonderful truths of our gracious God. Amen. Let us now sing together in response a song that really brings out these three parts of of this biblical theme, Psalm 130. We'll sing together uh, all four stanzas of Psalm 130. Let's stand to sing.